are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The Apollo program was the space flight's effort carried out by the United States National Aeronautic and Space Administration that landed the first humans on the Earth's satellite, the Moon. Conceived during the presidency of Dwight D. Eisenhower, Apollo began in earnest after President John F. Kennedy proposed a national goal of landing a man on the Moon and returning him safely to Earth by the end of the 1960s in a May 25th, 1961, addressed to Congress. Kennedy's goal was to accomplish with the Apollo 11 mission when astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed their lunar module on the moon on July 20th, 1969, and walked on its surface while Michael Collins remained in lunar orbit in the command spacecraft, and then all three landed safely back on Earth on July 24, 1969. Five subsequent Apollo missions also landed astronauts on the moon, the last in December 1972. In these six space flights, 12 men walked on the moon. These are the only times humans have landed on another celestial body. Apollo ran from 1961 to 1972, following the Mercury and Gemini programs. It used Saturn family rockets as launch vehicles. Apollo and Saturn vehicles were also used for Apollo application program which consisted of three Skylab space station missions in 1973 
1974 and a U at a joint U.S.-Soviet mission in 1975. Apollo was successful despite two major setbacks, the 1967 Apollo 1 cabin fire that killed the entire crew during a pre-launch test, and an in-flight failure on the 1970 Apollo 13 flight, which disabled the command spacecraft's propulsion and life support, forcing the crew to use the lunar module as a lifeboat for these functions until they could return to Earth safely. Apollo set major milestones in human spaceflight. It stands alone in sending manned missions beyond low Earth orbit. Apollo 8 was the first manned spacecraft to orbit another celestial body, while Apollo 17 marked the last moonwalk and the last manned mission beyond low Earth orbit. The program spurred advances in many areas of technology incidental to rocketry and manned spaceflight, including avionics, telecommunications, and computers. Apollo also sparked interests in many fields of engineering and left many physical facilities and machines developed for the program as landmarks. Its command modules and other objects and artifacts are displayed throughout the world, notably in the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., and at NASA centers in Florida, Texas, and Alabama. The Apollo 13 command module is housed at the Kansas Cosmosphere and Space Center in Hutchinson, Kansas. The Apollo program was conceived early in 1960 during the Eisenhower administration as a follow-up to America's Mercury program. While the Mercury capsule could only support one astronaut, on a limited Earth orbital mission, the Apollo spacecraft was able to carry three astronauts on a circumlunar flight and eventually to a lunar landing. The program was named after the Greek god of light, music, and the sun by NASA manager Ave Silverstein, who later said that, quote, I was naming the spacecraft like I'd name my baby. Unquote. Dr. Silverstein recalls those he chose the name after pursuing a book of mythology at home one evening, early in 1960. He thought that the image of Apollo riding his chariot across the sun was appropriate to the grand scale of the proposed program. While NASA went ahead with the planning for Apollo, Funding for the program was far from certain, given Eisenhower's ambivalent attitude to manned spaceflight. 
In November 1960, John F. Kennedy was elected president after a campaign that promised American superiority over the Soviet Union in the fields of space exploration and missile defense. Using exploration as a symbol of national prestige, he warned of a missile gap between the two nations, pledging to make the U.S. not first but, first and, first if, but first period. Despite Kennedy's rhetoric, he did not immediately come to a decision on the status of the Apollo program once he became president. He knew little about the technological details of the space program and was put off by the massive financial commitment required by a manned moon landing. When Kennedy's newly appointed NASA Administrator James Webb requested a 30% budget increase for his agency, Kennedy supported an acceleration of NASA's large booster program, but preferred the, deferred the decision on the broader issue. On April 12, 1961, everything changed. Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first person to fly in space, reinforcing American fears about being left behind in a technological competition with the Soviet Union. At a meeting at the U.S. House Committee on Science and Aeronautics of the one day after Gagarin's flight, Many congressmen pledged their support for a crash program aimed at ensuring that America would catch up. Kennedy, however, was circumspect in his response to the news, refusing to make a comment on America's responses to the Soviets. On April 20th, that same year, Kennedy sent a memo to Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson asking Johnson to look into the status of America's space program and into programs that could offer NASA the opportunity to catch up. Johnson responded approximately one week later, concluding that, we are neither making maximum effort nor achieving results necessary if this country is to reach the position of leadership. His memo concluded that a manned moon landing was far enough in the future that it was likely the United States would achieve it first. On May 25, 1961, Kennedy announced his support for the Apollo program during a special address to a joint session of Congress. His statements are as follows. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important in the long-range exploration of space, and none will be so difficult or as expensive to accomplish. At the time of Kennedy's proposal, only one American had flown into space less than a month earlier, and NASA had not yet sent an astronaut into orbit. Even some NASA employees doubted whether 
Kennedy's ambitious goals could be met. Kennedy even came close to agreeing to a joint U.S.-Soviet moon mission to eliminate duplication of effort and reduce costs. Landing men on the moon by the end of 1969 required the most sudden burst of technological creativity and the largest commitment of resources ever made by a nation in peacetime. It is estimated that the financial commitment was $24 billion. At its peak, the Apollo program employed 400,000 people and required the support of over 20,000 industrial firms and universities. It also required the conversion of the Space Task Group, which had been directing the nation's manned spaceflight program from NASA's Langley Research Center into a new NASA center, the Manned Spacecraft Center, to be housed in a new facility built in Houston. Texas on land donated by Rice University. In September 1962, by which time two Project Mercury astronauts had orbited the Earth and construction of the, spe of the Space Center was underway, Kennedy visited Rice University to reiterate his challenge in a famous speech, but why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, one we intend to win. Many years ago, the great British explorer George Mallory, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked why did he want to climb it? He said, because it is there. Well, space is there, and we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there, and new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which mankind has ever embarked. John F. Kennedy. Once Kennedy had defined a goal, the Apollo mission planners were faced with the challenge of designing a set of flights that could meet it while minimizing risk to human life, costs, and demands on technology and astronaut skill. 
four possible mission models were considered. The first was direct ascent. A spacecraft would travel directly to the moon as a unit, land, and return leaving its landing stage on the moon. This plan would have required a more powerful launch vehicle, the planned Nova rocket. Number two, Earth Orbit Rendezvous. Multiple rockets, up to 15 in some plans, would be launched, each carrying various parts of a direct ascent spacecraft and propulsion units that would have enabled the spacecraft to escape the Earth orbit. After docking in Earth orbit, the spacecraft would have landed on the moon as a unit. Number three, Lunar Surface Rendezvous. Two spacecrafts would be launched in succession. The first, an automated vehicle carrying propellants would land on the moon and would be followed sometime later by manned vehicles. Propellant would be transferred from the automated vehicle to the manned vehicle before the manned vehicle could return to Earth. Number four, Lunar Orbit Rendezvous. One Saturn V would launch a spacecraft that was composed of modular parts a command module that remained in orbit around the moon, while a lunar excursion module would descend to the moon and then return to dock with the command ship while still in lunar orbit. In contrast with the other plans, lunar orbit rendezvous required only a small part of the spacecraft to land on the moon, thereby minimizing the mass to be launched from the moon's surface for the return trip. In early 1961, direct ascent was generally the mission mode in favor at NASA. Many engineers feared that a rendezvous, let alone a docking, neither of which have ever been attempted, even in Earth orbit, would be extremely difficult in lunar orbit. However, dissenters, including John Halbolt at Langley Research Center, emphasizing the important weight reductions that were offered by the LOR approach. Throughout 1960 and 1961, Hobolt campaigned for the recognition of lunar orbit rendezvous as a viable and practical option. Bypassing the NASA hierarchy, he sent a series of memos and reports on the issue to Associate Administrator Robert Siemens. While acknowledging that he spoke somewhat as a voice in the wilderness, Hobolt pleaded that lunar on-orbit rendezvous should not be discounted in studies of the question. Siemens' establishment of the Golovin Committee in July 1961 represented a turning point in NASA's mission mode decision. While the ad hoc committee was intended to provide 
a recommendation on the boosters to be used in the Apollo program. It recognized that the mode decision was an important part of the question. The committee recommended in favor of a hybrid Earth orbiting rendezvous, lunar orbiting rendezvous mode, but its consideration of the lunar orbiting rendezvous, as well as Hubble's ceaseless work, played an important role in publicizing the workability of the, of the approach. In late 1961 and early 1962, members of the NASA Space Task Group at the Langley Center, which was in process of transitioning to the newly formed Manned Spacecraft Center in Houston, began to come around to support the Lunar Orbital Rendezvous. The engineers at Marshall Space Flight Center took longer to become convinced of its merits but their conversations, their conversions, was announced by Werner von Braun at a briefing in June 1962. NASA, formal decision in favor of lunar orbiting rendezvous, was announced on July 11, 1962. Space historian James Hansen concluded that, without NASA's adaptation of this stubbornly held minority opinion in 1962, the United States may still have reached the moon, but almost certainly it would not have been accomplished by the end of the 1960s, President Kennedy's target date. The lunar orbiting rendezvous method had the advantage of allowing the lander spacecraft to be used as a lifeboat in the event of a failure of the command ship. This is precisely what happened on Apollo 13 when an oxygen tank failure left the command ship without electrical power. The lunar module provided propulsion, electrical power, and life support to get the crew home safely. Preliminary design studies of Apollo spacecraft began in 1960 as a three-man command module supported by one of several service modules providing propulsion and electrical power sized for use in various possible missions, such as shuttle service to a space station, a circular lunar flight, or return to Earth from a landing, a lunar landing. Once the moon landing goal became official, detailed designs began of the command service module in which the crew would spend the entire direct ascent mission and lift off from the lunar surface for the return trip. The final choice of the lunar orbit rendezvous changed the CCM's role to a translunar ferry used to take the crew and the new spacecraft the lunar module, which would take two men to the lunar surface and return them 
to the command service module. The command module was the crew cabin, surrounded by a conical re-entry heat shield designed to carry three astronauts from launch to lunar orbit and back to Earth ocean splashdown. As such, it was the only component of the Apollo spacecraft to survive without major configuration changes as the program evolved from the early Apollo study designs. Equipment carried by the command module included reaction control engines, a docking tunnel, guidance and navigation systems, and the Apollo guidance computer. Attached to the command module was the cylindrical service module, which housed the service propulsion engines and its propellants, the fuel cell power system, four maneuvering thruster quads, a high-gain S-band antenna for communications between the moon and Earth, and storage tanks for water and oxygen. On the last three lunar missions, it also carried a scientific instrument package. Because its configuration was chosen early, before the selection of lunar orbit rendezvous, the service propulsion engine was sized to lift the command service module off the moon as well, and thus oversized to about twice the thrust requirement for a translunar flight. As used in the actual lunar program, the two modules remain attached throughout most of the flight to make a single ferry craft known as the Command Service Module, which carried separate lunar lander, only half as heavy as the CSM, to the moon, and the astronauts home to Earth. Just before re-entry, the service module was discarded, and only the command module re-entered the atmosphere, using its heat shields to survive the intense heat caused by air friction. After re-entry, it deployed parachutes that slowed its descent, allowing a smooth splashdown in the ocean. Under the leadership of Harrison Storms, North American Aviation won the contract to build the command service module and also the second stage of the Saturn V launch vehicle for NASA. Relations between North America and NASA were strained during the winter of 1965-66 by delivery delays, quality shortfalls, and cost overruns in both components. They were strained even more a year later when a cabin fire killed the crew of Apollo 1 during a ground test. The cause was determined to be an electrical short in the wiring of the command module. While the determination of responsibility for the accident was complex, the review board concluded that deficiencies existed in command module design, workmanship, and quality control. This eventually led to the removal of storms as command module program manager. The lunar module, originally known as the Lunar Excursion Module, or LEM, was designed to fly between lunar orbit and the surface, landing two astronauts on the moon and taking them back to the command module. 
It had no aerodynamic heat shield and was of a construction so lightweight that it would not have been able to fly through the Earth's atmosphere. It consisted of two stages, a descent and ascent stage. The descent stage contained compartments which carried cargo, such as the Apollo Lunar Surface Experiment Package and Lunar Rover. The contract for design and construction of the lunar module was awarded to Grumman Aircraft Engineering Corporation, and the project was overseen by Tom Kelly. There were also problems with the lunar module. Due to delays in the test program, the lunar module became a pacing item, meaning that it was in danger of delaying the schedule of the whole Apollo program. The first manned lunar module was not ready for its planned Earth orbit test in December 1968, but the program was kept on schedule by canceling a second Earth orbit lunar module flight. When the team of engineers, led by Warner von Braun, began planning for the Apollo program, it was not yet clear how much payload capacity was required for a manned lunar landing. Sending the three-man Apollo command module directly to the lunar surface and back would require an extremely large launch vehicle, the NOVA, which could send over 1.3 million pounds to the moon. NASA's decision to use the lunar orbit rendezvous method eliminated the need for NOVA and met the capability of the Saturn V rocket family so that Marshall Space Flight Center proceeded to develop the Saturn I, Saturn IB, and Saturn V rockets. While the Saturn V was less powerful than the NOVA would have been, it still holds the record for the largest payload capacity to a low Earth orbit roughly 260,000 pounds. The closest comparable launch systems were the Energia of the Soviets at 220,000 pounds and the unsuccessful N1 also by the Soviets at 200,000 pounds. The N1 and the Energia were the Soviet Union's attempt at manned lunar flight in competition with Apollo. The Saturn 1B was an upgraded version of the earlier Saturn 1 rocket. The Saturn 1B was capable of putting a partially fueled command service module or lunar module into Earth orbit. It was used in five of the Apollo test missions, including the first manned mission. It was also used in the manned missions for the Skylab program and the Apollo-Soyuz test pro project. The Saturn V was a three-stage rocket. Three Saturn V vehicles 
and launched on Earth's orbital flights. Two of the three, Apollo 4 and Apollo 6, were unmanned tests of the command and service modules. And the third was a manned flight, Apollo 9, testing the lunar module. Nine Saturn V's launched manned Apollo missions to the moon, including Apollo 11. It was also used for the unmanned launch of Skylab. Apollo required more than six years of spacecraft and launch vehicle development and testing before the first manned mission could be flown. Test flights of the Saturn I launch vehicle began in October 1961 and lasted until September 1964. Three further Saturn I launches carried boilerplate models of Apollo Command Service modules. Two pad abort tests of the launch escape system took place in 1963 and 1965 at the White Sands Missile Range. Three unmanned tests of Apollo components with the Saturn 1B or Apollo Saturn or AS were officially designated in their chronological order of launch as AS-201, AS-203, and AS-202. The only unmanned mission to be publicly designated as Apollo followed by a sequence number were Apollo 4, Apollo 5, and Apollo 6. The simple numbering was started at 4 to follow the three Apollo Saturn 1B flights, though all subsequent flights kept their AS designation, AS-204, and the following for Saturn 1B flights, and AS-501 for the following Saturn V flights. Apollo 4 was the first unmanned test flight of the Saturn V launch vehicle carrying a command service module. Launched on November 9, 1967, Apollo 4 exemplified George Mueller's strategy of all-up testing. Rather than being tested stage by stage, as most rockets were, the Saturn V would be flown for the first time as one unit. Walter Cronkite covered the launch from a broadcast booth about four miles from the launch site. The extreme noise and vibration from the launch nearly shook the broadcast booth apart. Ceiling tiles fell and windows shook. At one point, Cronkite was forced to dampen the booth's plate glass window to prevent it from shattering. This launch showed that additional protection measures were necessary to protect structures in the immediate vicinity. Future launches use a dampening mechanism directly at the launch pad, which provided effective in limiting the, graded, the generated noise. The mission was a highly successful one, demonstrating the capability of the command module's heat shield 
to survive a translunar return re-entry by using the service module engine to ram it into the atmosphere at higher than usual Earth orbital re-entry speed. Apollo 5 was the first unmanned test flight of the lunar module in Earth orbit, launched January 22, 1968, by a Saturn 1B. The critical lunar module engines were successfully tested, although a computer programming error cut one test firing short, including an in-flight test of the second stage engine in abort mode, which made the ascent engine is fired simultaneously with the jettison of the descent stage. This capability was made available only to be used in even an event of a critical problem on the moon landing, such as running out of descent fuel, but was never needed. Apollo 6 was the last unmanned Saturn V flight, launched on April 4, 1968. It, it carried a command service module and a lunar, lunar module test article near the mass of the lunar module for ballast. It was planned to achieve a translunar injection, then after five minutes, used the service module engine to return the command module to Earth thus demonstrating the Saturn V's ability to send the Apollo aircraft to the moon and direct return to Earth abort capability. However, pogo vibrations caused premier premature shutdown of two second stage engines and failure of the third stage to relight for the translunar injection. Instead, the service module engine was used in Apollo 4 to raise the craft to a higher Earth orbit and bring the command module back at a velocity midway between that of low Earth orbit and a lunar return velocity. The mission was considered successful, enough to launch men on the next Saturn V flight, since the fixes for the vibration problem were identified. The manned mission carried three astronauts, designated as Commander, Command Module Pilot, and Lunar Module Pilot. Besides exercising all crew command decisions, the Commander was the primary pilot of both spacecraft when present, and was first to exit the Lunar Module on the surface of the Moon. The Command Module Pilot functioned as a navigator, usually performed the initial docking with the Lunar Module and remained in the command service module when his companions flew the lunar module. The lunar module pilot functioned as an engineering officer, monitoring the systems of both spacecraft. On the landing mission, he accompanied the commander on the lunar surface. On the last flight, the lunar module pilot was professional geologist Dr. Harrison Schmidt.
Apollo 7, launched on October 11, 1968, was the first manned mission in the program. It was an 11-day Earth orbital flight intended to test the command module, redesigned following the Apollo 1 fire. It was the first manned launch of the Saturn 1B launch vehicle and the first three-man American space mission. Between December 21, 1968 and May 18, 1969, NASA planned to launch three manned test practice missions using the Saturn V launch vehicle and the complete spacecraft, including the lunar module. But by the summer of 1968, it became clear to program managers that a fully functional lunar module would not be available for the Apollo 8 launch. Rather than waste the Saturn V on another simple Earth-orbiting mission, they chose to send the crew planned to make the second orbital lunar module test in Apollo 9 to orbit the moon in the command service module on Apollo 8 during Christmas. Although it has been claimed that this change was made as a direct response to the Soviets' attempt to fly a piloted Zond spacecraft around the moon, there is no evidence that this was the case. NASA officials were aware of the Soviet Zond flights but the timing of the Zon mission does not correspond well with the extensive written record from NASA about the Apollo 8 decision. The Apollo 8 decision was primarily based upon the lunar module schedule, not the fear of the Soviets being beating the Americans to the moon. This was followed by the first orbital manned lunar module flight on Apollo 9 with the original Apollo 8 crew and the lunar dress rehearsal Apollo 10 which took the lunar module to within 50,000 feet of the surface of the moon but did not land. The first landing was achieved on, a, on Apollo 11 on July 20th, 1969. That landing produced one of the most famous quotes in all of mankind. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That was Neil Armstrong just after stepping onto the moon's surface. The next flight, Apollo 12, made a precision landing near the Surveyor 3 unmanned lunar probe, which had landed in April 1967. The Apollo 13 mission was aborted before the landing attempt, but the crew returned safely to Earth. The four subsequent Apollo missions, 14 through 17, included successful moon landings. The last three of these were J-class missions, that included the use of lunar rovers. Apollo 17, launched December 7, 1972, was the last Apollo mission to the moon. Mission Commander Eugene Cernan 
was the last person to leave the moon's surface. The crew returned safely to Earth on December 19, 1972. Forty-one astronauts were assigned to fly Apollo spacecraft. Thirty-two of them were part of the Apollo program, with the rest not flying until the subsequent Skylab and Apollo Soyuz programs. Twenty-four of the Apollo program astronauts left Earth's orbit and flew around the moon. Apollo 7 and Apollo 9 did not leave low Earth orbit. Twelve of these astronauts walked on the moon's surface, and six of them drove a lunar rover on the moon. While three of the astronauts flew to the moon twice, none of them landed on the moon more than once. The nine Apollo missions to the moon occurred between December 1968 and December 1972. Apart from these 24 people who visited the moon, no human being has gone below, beyond low Earth orbit. They have, therefore, been farther from the Earth than anyone else. They are also the only people to have directly viewed the far side of the moon. The 12 who walked on the moon are the only people to have ever set foot on an astronomical object other than the Earth. Of the 24 lunar astronauts taking part in the moon missions, Two went on to command a Skylab mission. One commanded Apollo Soyuz. One flew as a commander for the shuttle approach and landing tests. And two went on to command orbital shuttle missions. A total of 24 Apollo era astronauts, as well as pre-Apollo astronaut John Glenn, flew in the space shuttle. Originally, three additional lunar landing missions had been planned as Apollo 18 through Apollo 20. In light of the drastically shrinking NASA budget and decisions not to produce a second batch of Saturn V's, these missions were canceled to make funds available for the development of the space shuttle and to make their Apollo spacecraft and Saturn V launch vehicles available for the Skylab program. Only one of the remaining Saturn V's was actually used to launch the Skylab Orbital Laboratory in 1973. The others became museum exhibits at John F. Kennedy Space Center on Merritt Island, Florida, George C. Marshall Space Center in Huntsville, Alabama, and McCowd's Assembly Facilities in New Orleans, Louisiana, and Lyndon B. Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. As part of Apollo 11's 40th anniversary in 2009, NASA spearheaded an effort to digitally restore the existing videotapes of the mission's live televised moonwalk. After an exhaustive three-year search for missing tapes of the original video of the Apollo 11 moonwalk, NASA concluded the data tapes had more likely been accidentally erased. We're all saddened that they're not there, we all wish we had 2020 hindsight. I don't think anyone in the NASA organization did anything wrong, 
I think it slipped through the cracks, and nobody's happy about it. TV specialist at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. The NASA moon landing data was recorded by a special Apollo TV camera, which recorded in a format incompatible with broadcast TV. This resulted in lunar footage that had to be converted for the live television broadcast and stored on magnetic telemetry tapes. During the following years, the magnetic tape shortage prompted NASA to remove massive numbers of magnetic tapes from the National Archives and Records Administration to be recorded over with newer satellite data. With a budget cut of $230,000, the surviving original lunar broadcast data from Apollo 11 was compiled by NASA and assigned to the Lowry Digital for restoration. The video was processed to remove random noise and camera shake without destroying historical legitimacy. The images were tapes recorded in Australia, the CBS News Archive, and kinescope recordings made at Johnson Space Center. The restored video, remaining in black and white, contains conservative digital enhancement and did not include sound quality improvements. Your journey is now ending. Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. On a piece of the planet, now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.